Father, Lord, we give you praise and we exalt your name today. We thank you that you're sovereign. We thank you that you are preeminent. You surpass all, Father, Lord. We just give you praise and we exalt you and we thank you that we can come together and worship and fellowship and just learn from your word today. So I just pray that we have fun tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, first of all, for anyone who hasn't got a Bible, if you put your hand up, Naomi and Arena are handing out Bibles. So as you lots know, um, the holidays are on holiday. Um, they're in, I believe, Florida. Um, last time I checked on Facebook, I saw a picture of P.T. and his family in Disneyland. So, yeah, they're enjoying themselves. Um, I don't think I have any more announcements. Oh, another announcement for people that usually do come to um, our service on Wednesday. Most of you know that my sister went to Burundi and Rwanda for... Um, 10 weeks or so, so she arrived back safely in the UK yesterday night, so you should be seeing her on the Sunday, in which I'm also going to be preaching. Yeah, Um, so you know me, there's no introduction, so let's go straight into it. I'm going to give a recap of the message that I taught on last week, I mean a couple weeks ago, and that was on Colossians 3, I know a few of you were here to receive that word last time. Um, basically, I was talking about um, Christ being preeminent. I was meaning that, you know, he surpasses all. There's nothing else above him. There's nothing else to get. I went on to talk about um, um, a Christian's heart motive. So I made the example if you're using Jesus to get something else. So I gave the example if you're, if you're following Jesus because you want your marriage resolved or if you're following Jesus because um, you, want a, you want a certain job or you're in a certain situation that you want to get out of. And was just going through text. I think I broke down um, Jeremiah chapter 12 verse 2 where it says, My people have committed two sins. They have um, forgotten me and they have, um, they have forgotten me and they have created cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And then we went on to talk about um, seeking the things above and not only just seeking but setting our minds on the things above where Christ is seated in heavenly places. So today's sermon is going to kind of relate to what I taught on a few weeks back. So if you're ready, open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. The Bible that Naomi handed out is a New King James Version. Most of the text I'm going to read, I'm going to read it from the ESV. Just my preference, I like the way it reads. So if you want to see what I read word for word, the text on the board is the ESV version. So, you lots ready? No? (laughs) Okay. Hebrews chapter 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how should we escape if we neglect such a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. So, the writer of Hebrews has a real concern for us, the reader. Um, he starts off chapter 2 by getting straight to the point. Um, he uses a statement that allows the, reader that he, allows the reader to know that he really wants us to grasp this. He says, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. He doesn't just want us to consider this, he wants us to pay attention, to listen, to take heed, to really grasp this. Why? 
lest we drift away. So the question is, what doesn't he want us to drift away from? What does he want us to pay attention to? And I know the writer does make note that the issue is salvation in the following verses, but I really want you guys to see the urgency that he displays throughout the whole of chapter 1, chapter 2, and the rest of the book of Hebrews. So for me to do that, I'm going to read the first three chapters of Hebrews chapter 1. So depending on how big or small your Bible is, all you need to do is flick one page back. Okay. And it reads, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In the first three verses, we see the threefold ministry of Jesus. We see Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, and Jesus as king. Jesus as prophet, scripture says, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. So in these last days, right now, the full revelation of God is in Christ. He is the final prophet. Why? Because Christ's message is the last message that there's going to be. The second thing we see is Jesus as priest. The scripture says, after making purification for sins, um, we know within the Old Testament, the priest would make that animal sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel regarding, regarding sin. Sorry. Christ also took that position as high priest, but in this case, he became our actual perfect sacrifice, the lamb that was slain. He became the final and complete sacrifice. And what Second Corinthians 5.21 would say, for our sake, he... Being our Heavenly Father, God the just judge made him, being Christ Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the third thing we see is Jesus as King. Scripture says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus being the King who conquered sin and death through the cross and his resurrection, and now sits at the right hand Father right hand of the Father. And verse 5 through 14 portrays the picture of Jesus' authority, his majesty, his absolute supremacy, his glory. So back to my initial question. What does the author of Hebrew want us to pay attention to? Would it not be the awesome work of Christ on the cross? Would it not be his message of repentance? Would it not be his message of believing in him, believing in Christ? Would it not be the message of salvation? So listen, the, the author is urging us to pay attention to, to pay much closer attention to, to the word of truth, to the gospel of your salvation, as it would say in Ephesians. So before I go any further, I want to bring you up to speed in regards to who the author is specifically writing to at this current time. The text is written to your Jewish Christians, so you know, Christians that are Jewish. And throughout the book, the author made it clear that these Jewish Christians were slipping away from their faith, falling back into their traditions and rituals. That's why the outline of chapter 1 is so heavily based on Jesus' supremacy, because the author wants to remind the readers, he wants to remind these Jewish Christians that Jesus is far better, he's far superior, pay attention. So, we have time, so I'm I'm actually going to read... um, Hebrews 
So bear with me. Okay. And it says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And, your, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same. And your years have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So, yeah, again, the author is so detailed here. He reminds the reader that Jesus is superior. He is supreme. Christ has laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of his hands. And they will perish. But what? Christ remains. So they weren't paying attention. Their eyes were not fixed on him. Their eyes were not fixed on Christ. They have misunderstood. They have ceased to listen. And in doing so, listen, listen, in doing so, somewhere along the way, they have replaced the internal intimacy with Jesus for an outward religious personification, an outward style of religion where there's no real sense of relationship with Christ. They've lost sight of him. So, saints, has that revealed something in you? Have you drifted away? Have you lost sight? And it's so easy for us to get caught up within this cycle because we keep ourselves busy with church activities, neglecting Christ, but still wearing that religious coat, if it makes sense. Now, hear me loud and clear. By no means am I against church activities. However, when you lose sight of Christ, when you drift away from the gospel, when you, when you stop focusing upon Christ, you begin to use these things as a means of justification, meaning you use these things as a means to be right standing by God. So I'll give you an example. I go to church on Sundays. I go to studies throughout the week. I feed the homeless. I clothe the homeless. Me and God are cool. I'm saved, see? Look how often I go to church. Look how often I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. And when caught up in, in that cycle, when caught up in the cycle of not looking at Christ, Drifting away from your salvation and wearing that religious coat, you begin to breed a sense of self-righteousness. So, when it comes to the pursuit of Christ, and your life is filled with um, people who are not serious about the things of God, who have no real desire to pursue Him, to, to worship Him, to love Him, to know Him, it doesn't take long for you to join them in that pursuit. Join them in that, that hypocritical and, and nominal desire to know, love and worship Christ. But on the other side, I also believe it to be true that if you surround yourself with people who are bold, people who are fervent in spirit, people who are, people who are sold out for the Lord, it has this kind of effect of drawing it out of you as well. And I want to show you this within scripture. How the Bible says, bad company affects good character, or furthermore, how a lifestyle of hypocrisy can, 
can sway you, especially when your eyes are not fixed upon Christ, when your when your mind is not set on Christ. So if you want to flip to Galatians chapter two, I'm going to read from verses eleven to fourteen. And if you lot say Amen when you're there, so I know to begin. Okay. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is Apostle Paul speaking. For before certain men came from James, he was eaten with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before all of them, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So, um, let me give you some history on the city of Antioch. It was kind of a metropolitan city, very busy. Um, You had a big population of Jewish people. Jewish Christians, but you also had a big population of Gentiles, so, you know, people that are not Jewish. Um, so, what you have here is Apostle Paul leaves Antioch, um, and both Jew and Gentile walking together. They're fellowshipping together, they're eating at the same table. Um, so, they understand that both are equal in Christ, both are equal under Christ. And when Paul returns to Antioch, things have changed. Um, um, there's been segregation. People have, have separated. Jews are with Jews and Gentiles are with Gentiles. And it seems that, um, sorry, not Paul, Peter and Barnabas have done the same. So at first, Peter was willing to sit with the Gentiles to eat with them. So, you know, I'm guessing non-kosher meals. Understanding that both were equal, walking in the freedom of Christ, willing to eat with other brothers and sisters not from his culture, other brothers and sisters that didn't inherit his dietary historical laws then what does scripture say in verse 12 for before certain men came from James he was eaten with the Gentiles but when they came he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party so Peter is swayed by these men he, he, he then refrains from fellowship with the Gentiles so at first Peter understood that hey we're all equal under Christ, we're all equal in Christ, but now he's refraining from eating with the Gentiles. The implication Peter is now portraying is, hey, I'm, I'm much better than you because I'm a Jew. I'm much cleaner than you because of my heritage, because of my dietary laws. So we see Peter beginning to drift away from the gospel. Drift away from the gospel of salvation, and in doing so we see that he begins to use his heritage, his dietary laws as a, as a means of justification. Walking in the form of self-righteousness and hypocrisy. Scripture says in verse 13 of Galatians 2, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Do you now understand when I say, surrounding yourself amongst Christians, you have a hypocritical and nominal desire to know, worship and serve Christ. It doesn't take long for you to join them in that pursuit. Losing sight, not paying much attention to, 
to, to Christ. Or what Paul would say in verse 13 of Galatians 2, not having your conduct in step with the gospel can cause you to drift away. And the thing is, Peter should have knew better because he has been, he'd been in this situation before if you, if you read the book of Acts. But that's another sermon for another time. So when your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel, when you don't pay much attention, when your eyes are not set on Christ, you begin to drift. And I'm going to continue to use Peter as an extensive example because to me, Peter is like one of the most interesting persons. He's a really big character in the Bible in the New Testament. Um, when, when his eyes are fixed on Christ, he's just a Christ-filled believer and, and the faith and the boldness that he has is is outstanding, but as soon as he takes his eyes off Christ, he says the dumbest of things, he does the stupidest of things, and he just acts like an idiot. And to be honest, we can laugh, but that's the same as us. As soon as we take our eyes off Christ, oh, we act like idiots. Um, so the examples I'm going to give you, bear with me, a little bit parched. Um, so, Remember, in the book of Matthew, I believe it's uh, Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is um, walking on the water. So basically, um, Jesus and his disciples were at a certain area and he told his disciples to go in the boat to the other side and he would meet them there. And there was a storm and the disciples were in the boat and what happened, they saw Jesus coming and at first they didn't know it was him and they all shouted out, oh, it's a ghost. And Jesus said, um, do not be afraid, it is I. And what did Peter respond when, when Jesus said that? He said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come over. Now I'll pause there. A couple of chapters beforehand, when you look in Matthew chapter 8, um, this was when Jesus and the whole disciples were in the boat and there was a storm and everyone was crying and screaming and whatnot. And, you know, woke up Jesus and Jesus said, peace. So when, when Peter's eyes were fixed on Jesus, when, when his eyes were set on Christ, he, he understood this, there's something different about this man. He, 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 is, he is God. So when his eyes were focused, he's like, Lord, if that's you, command me to come over. And what we see, we see Peter taking steps. We see him beginning to walk. And then what happened? He said, Peter, Peter saw the winds. And what happened? He began, to, he began to sink. And then Jesus reached out to him. So put yourself in the situation. What, what, what are the winds in your life? You're, you're, far, you're, you're focused on Christ, you're walking towards him and then you see the winds. What are the winds in your life that cause you to, to look away from Christ? Another situation I can give is um, the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, Peter goes all American gangster on him. He's like, you know, I die with you, I die with you. Me and your boys, I die with you. You know, paraphrasing doesn't read like that. <laughs> and what does Jesus say? He's like, nah fam, nah couple hours from now, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, I'm going to I'll die with you. I'll die with you. And then what happens? Jesus gets arrested. They take him to an inner court. Peter's in the, he's in the outside court. A couple of people come up to him. Yo, Peter, I swear I've seen you with that guy, Jesus. No, fam, that's not me. Peter, I know that's you. You've got the same accent as him. No, fam, I'm not about this life. That's not me. I don't know him. Third time. I know I've seen you with that guy, Jesus. Don't know him. And then what happens? The rooster, I don't know, what sound does it make? I don't know, it cries. What does the rooster say? <laughs> and then it cries out three times. 
And the next one, I actually want to, I actually want to read it because when I read it, I laughed not because it was funny. I laughed because I put myself in the situation. I said, this is something that I would do. So, um, if you turn your Bibles to John chapter 21 and say amen when you lots are there so I know when to start. Yeah. Cool. Um, reading from verse 15, yeah? When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him then, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So let me kind of um, illustrate what's happening. So this is Peter getting um, restored. So, I mean, restored. So, you know, he denied him three times. Jesus is asking the question, do you love me over again three times? And basically, Jesus is, is trying to tell Peter that, you know, the destiny that I have laid out for you is great. And the love that you need for me, it needs to be that agape love. You can't have this wishy-washy love because it's not going to carry you out through to the death you're going to glorify God with. So, Peter understands and Christ goes, you know, follow me. Let's pick up in 20. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's, he's talking about John here. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die. But if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? So you see Peter's response how when his eyes were not fixed on Christ, he started saying dumb stuff. He started thinking about himself. So Jesus was like, Peter, do you love me? Saying it three times, Peter was grieved. like, Lord, you know everything. You know my heart. You know I love you. And, then, and Christ is telling him that, you know, um, he kind of prophesied about the way he was going to die. And what was Peter's response? After, Jesus, after he said that, Jesus said, follow him. So they began to walk. And then Peter saw John. He's like, Jesus, what, what about this guy? What about him? And Jesus is like, who is he to you? Who is he to you? Keep, my, keep your eyes focused on me. So, um, back to our initial text of Hebrews, um, chapter 2. The, the author is saying here, pay attention. Pay attention to this Jesus. Pay attention to this salvation you've been offered. Don't take it lightly. Don't neglect it. Why? 
Why should we pay so much attention to Jesus and his salvation? Why so much weight on Jesus and his salvation? Well, the scriptures tell us. So if you pick it up with me in Hebrews chapter 2, about this time starting in verse 2. You lost there? For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So, remember, who is the author writing to at this current time? Yeah, your Jewish Christians. So he reminds them of the law in saying that the message you received was reliable, the law you received was reliable, but breaking the law you received a what? Just retribution. Some translations might say punishment or penalty. Now, why, why would he make that comparison between Jesus and salvation and the law? I'll show you. If you go over to Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read the first three verses. And again, when you're not there, just say Amen. You all ready? Okay. And it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to possess, sorry, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments when I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So there's two things I want you to see here. First thing, the law, the giving of the law is there so God might lead us to life and life abundantly. Second thing is, if you don't walk in his ways, it's going to go bad for you. You're also looking at me strangely, I'll explain. If you flick a couple more verses, not verses, chapters, to chapter 30 of the same book. And I'm going to pick up in verse 11. And hopefully, once I read this, you will be on the same page as I was when I read it. You up there? Cool. And it says, for this commandment that I have commanded you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is, beyond, neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may, bear, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near, to, very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you, should live, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, 
blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, and you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and the length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So, we see that the law is there that God might lead us in life and life abundantly. But if you don't follow his statutes and his, and his rules, it's going to go bad for you. Now hear me, we know within scripture that we fail miserably at trying to attain and keep the law statutes with our own righteousness. We can't do it. But Christ has paved the way in such that believing in him, you attain his righteousness. His righteousness is imputed into you. That's why the author of Hebrews writes out in verse 3 of chapter 2 of Hebrews, if you go back there, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Where are you going to go if you neglect this? Drifting from this, neglecting this great salvation, how are you going to escape the just retribution, the just penalty, the just punishment? Where are you going to go to get a better deal than, a better deal than this? And let's, let's read the whole of verse 3 of um, Hebrews chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. So who was it declared by first? The Lord. Salvation was whose idea? God's idea. The ability to be saved, to be made whole was God's idea. The concept of salvation was God's idea. God coming down as man. 100% God and 100% man. Dying on the cross for our sin, for our rebellion. That we might become the righteousness of him. That was all God. That was his plan. So neglecting this great salvation, this offer, what are you going to do? What other venue are you going to take? What other route is there? And I'll answer that for you. None. God wants to heal you. He wants to bring you to wholeness. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to wipe your sin. He wants to make you a son. Now, what are you going to do if you say no to that? Why would you say no to that? How are you going to fix yourself? That void, that, you, that void in you that you try to fill with empty desires and empty pleasures. The author of Hebrew is saying, don't neglect this great salvation. So, knowing me, you know, I don't go real long. Because I want us to, once hearing the word, to respond in a time of worship. So, we can respond in prayer to what we've heard. So maybe you're here tonight and you, and you know that you've drifted away. You know you've neglected Christ. Your conduct has been out a step of the gospel, out a step of the word of truth, what Paul was talking about in Galatians. Or maybe you're here tonight and you've, you've never heard of this salvation that I'm talking about. Um, well, scripture says in Romans 10, chapter 9, if you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And more than that, Jesus tells us to repent and believe. Repentance meaning a turning away from your sin. A turning away from your sin. So, here's the facts. Every person on the earth is guilty. The concept, every human being thinks they're a good person. But if you lay your goodness on top of the, the Ten Commandments, have you lied? Have you stole anything despite its value? Um, commandment says, do not commit adultery. But Jesus said, if you look in... If you look lustfully in your heart, you've committed that um, sin already in your heart. The Bible says, do not murder. Jesus answered it up and said, if you hate your brother or sister, you've already committed that sin in your heart. 
So the fact is, we're guilty. But God so graciously and merciful, He came down, dying on the cross, that you believing in Him, you get His imputed righteousness and He bears your sins. And maybe you're here tonight and you believe that you you and God are okay. That you feel that you haven't neglected Him. And if that's the case, praise God. But I urge you to, I urge you to, to continue to pray that you would continue to set your mind on heavenly things, to set your eyes on Christ, not to be like Peter at times and drift away. And I urge you to pray for the church, pray for the body of Christ, pray for your brothers and sisters that they would stay fervent in spirit. I urge you to pray that you would continue to surround yourself around Christians who are passionate, who are fervent for the Lord. So, as I do call up um, Tim and the rest of the worship team to to come and lead us in a time of worship where we can respond in in respond in prayer about what we've just heard. I want to I want to pray that you know we would be a, we would be a generation that begins to work at our salvation with fear and trembling, understanding that it's God who works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. I pray that He would keep us away from drifting that he'll create in you a desire in all of us to thirst and hunger for him, thirst and hunger for righteousness that you may be filled. So let's pray. Father Lord, I just give you praise and I give you glory. I thank you that you're sovereign, Father Lord. I thank you that you're preeminent. I thank you that you surpass all. Father, I thank you that you're a God that's rich in grace and rich in mercy. Father, I pray that as we come before you to your throne room to, to worship, Father Lord, that the, the Holy Spirit would convict us of the things that we, that we fall short of, Father Lord, that we would come in repentance, Father Lord. Father, I pray that you would continue to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Father Lord, that you would continue to enlighten the eyes of our heart, Father Lord, that we would be able to understand and comprehend your word, not just being hearers, Lord, but doers as well, Father Lord. That you would give us the spirit of wisdom and, and revelation and the knowledge of Christ Jesus, Lord. That you would give us this desire to, to thirst and hunger for you, Father Lord, to, to really commit ourselves to, to you, to not neglect this great salvation that you've offered, to not drift away, Lord, but to, to permanently set our eyes upon you, Lord. So I give you praise. I thank you for the opportunity given for me to teach today, Lord. And I just pray that you move mightily in the in the hearts of our brothers and sisters here tonight. So I exalt you, and I pray that we would have a, an amazing time in your in your presence, Father Lord. An amazing time in this praise and worship. So receive praise and receive glory, Father. Let it be a sweet sacrifice to you. In Jesus' name.